This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The second segment of Knowledge at Wharton's interview with Google's Chade Ming Tan, author of Search Inside Yourself, focuses on the role that emotional intelligence can play in helping managers resolve conflicts within high-performance teams. It also shows how the Google SIY program, through compassion training, has helped managers become more successful and charismatic. It's amazing. Uh, how, how has the SIY program helped Google employees deal with issues like having difficult conversations? Mm-hmm. For example, has emotional intelligence helped resolve conflicts that might emerge within high-performance teams mm-hmm. whose uh, members may be passionate about their work, but they mm-hmm. find it hard to get along with one another. Right. Can, can, can you give examples to show how emotional intelligence has helped in such situations? Yeah, yeah. there's, there's one situation where, where this happens a lot, uh, and it's for very understandable reasons. So, so the situation is we have uh, something called, we have people called uh, product engineers, right? So they are the engineers who build features for our products. And then we have production engineers. And these are the people who, who make sure that uh, Google doesn't break. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and already you can tell, right? The people who build features, they, are, they tend to be very aggressive. Because, and it makes sense because they want to create new features for benefit of users. Mm-hmm. So they're always thinking, let's launch early. Let's, let's, let's create as many as we can and so on. Uh, in contrast, the production people they are very conservative. And again, for very good reasons, right? Because they care about Google not breaking. If Google breaks, nobody benefits. And so if you care about Google not breaking, you say, you, you are very careful about every launch, right? Do you cross your I's and dot your T's or, or the other way around, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, yeah. <laughs> dot your I's and cross your T's. <laughs> so, so in that situation, even though both sides, they are like, very smart people. They very smart people. They do, they, who want to like do the do the right thing. You find they're in conflict, and if you're not careful, and if this persists for a long time, you get a tendency like whichever side you're on, your tendency is you think the other the other guys they are just trying to screw with me, and then it becomes personal, right? So it's, it's about me. They are they hate me. They're screwing with me. <laughs> and I have uh, so one example I have somebody in my class who was feeling this way and one of those uh, uh, very uh, what do you call it uh, over performers right? perform very well but having a lot of problems with the other side and after SIY he figured something out he figured wait a minute if I apply the compassion I learned in SIY and I put myself in their shoes and then he realized a couple of important things and the, f- the most important thing he realized is that that guy wasn't trying to screw with me. I mean, he doesn't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to screw with, uh, with Jim. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do for the rest of my day. They were like, oh, wait a minute, if I was in his shoe doing his job, I would, I would be saying exactly the same things that he's, he's doing. He's saying, right, because I want to do the right thing, and he's doing the right thing. So, so once he figured that out, uh, and the way he t- tells it to me, he said he, he learned to discern the story from reality. Mm-hmm. Like he realized that the thing that that guy trying to screw at me is a story, but the reality is different. And once he figured that out, then the the whole work relationship changes, and then everything changes, and it, everything works more smoothly. So, so that's a, I think a good example of how EI resolved conflicts that led to higher performance among the teams. 
which is in fact I think one of the best selling points of, of emotional intelligence, which is uh, friction, right? Like if your people are, have high emotional intelligence, they have less friction. Right. And if they have less friction, then they work, you, you, I mean, from a system, system point of view. If less friction, you lose less energy and you get more done. Exactly. Okay, yeah. So has, uh, how has cultivating compassion through meditation helped Google mm-hmm. employees hone their leadership skills? Mm. Ah, okay. Um, so, so there's something that's visible and something that's less visible. So, so what is most visible to me is uh, charisma. Uh, so uh, I found that, that Google employees who took SIY, who especially did their compassion practices, they have, uh, their charisma seems to increase. And, and I, I realized how. Uh, so what are the, the, if you tease out the components of charisma, so according to my friend uh, uh, Olivia Olivia Fox, who wrote who wrote a book, The Charisma Myth, I think it's, I think it's called The Charisma Myth. Let me just check. Oh yes, The Charisma Myth. Uh, she teased out the whole charisma thing, and she said the three components: the, there's presence, there's uh, confidence or power, and there's warmth. Right. Uh, so presence is, is that if you're talking to somebody or you're, you're interacting with somebody, you are there. Your your attention is on that person. Your full attention is there. And the other person perceives you as caring for him or her. Right? So that helps in your charisma. And the other thing that really helps is your confidence. So, uh, uh, And then the next thing that really helps is if you're warm. So if you have high presence and you have a high, high sense of confidence and you're warm, the other person perceives you as being very charismatic. And of course the top examples are that I've met uh, are Bill Clinton and, and Barack Obama. And I think, yeah, I think also the Dalai Lama. I think these are the three most charismatic persons I've ever met, and all three of them are strong in all these three factors. Mm-hmm. And so, if you tease out these three factors, and if you compare them versus uh, compassion, so the presence, you find that so the part of the compassion training, uh, presence, attention, and so on, mindfulness, is a basic training that leads to compassion. So, if you train compassion, you already tra- you are already training presence. So your presence is already strong, right? Uh, confidence. I found that compassion has been very helpful in creating confidence, which is a bit counterintuitive. But but here's why. Uh, I discovered and for myself, I, I went through a compassion exercise, uh, and then I discovered that immediately after the exercise, the first time I did exercise, my confidence increased substantially. And over time, I discovered it was permanent, yeah. which is fascinating. Like five minutes of exercise, and you have a permanent increase in confidence. Yeah. And, and why is that so? So I realized that part of what's holding me back from my self-confidence is the fear of suffering. And in practicing compassion, you are creating the ability to even bring in or absorb other people's suffering. And once you do that, once you find that you can bring, you can experience other people's suffering with equanimity, then you realize that wait a minute, my fear of of suffering just went away, or at least a big part of it went away, and then suddenly I have confidence in myself. Right? So so compassion creates a lot of confidence, and warmth. Yeah, that, that's pretty obvious. I mean, compassionate people are very warm. So so cultivating compassion, the first effect is 
your charisma will increase. So that's the visible part. There's another important uh, uh, quality, which is uh, true in theory, but less visible. And I'll tell you why it is less visible to me. And this quality is uh, level five leadership, as defined by Jim Collins. Mm -hmm. So Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, he defined level five leadership as, as the most uh, effective form of leadership. They, these are the good to great leaders. Right? They bring companies from good to great. And these are leaders with two important qualities, which, are, which seems to be paradoxical. So these people, these are leaders who are very ambitious. And at the same time, they're personally very humble. So, so their ambition is towards a greater good, and which is why they don't feel the, the need to glorify themselves. So they're personally humble at the same time. And if you tease out the three components of compassion, the components of compassion, first there is the uh, affective component, which is I, I care about you. Right? There is a cognitive component of compassion, which is I understand you, or I want to understand you. And then there's a motivational component of compassion, which is, I want to help you. So if you superimpose the, the three compassion components with the two leadership, level five leadership qualities, you find that the first two aspects of compassion, uh, effective and, and uh, the cognitive compassion, they increase personal humility. And then the other component of compassion, motivation compassion, com motivational uh, component of compassion, it increases your ambition for greater good. So therefore, uh, it is obvious that compassion is a necessary but maybe insufficient training for level five leadership. Mm. Uh, so that's, this is the theory. In practice, in Google, uh, I don't see that it's not very visible. And the reason is because it's already widespread. Right? We, we tend to hire the type of people who are very, very smart, very ambitious to want to change the world, but personally quite humble. So, so, so they're already halfway there, <laughs> or, or, or 75% there. And, and so that's why uh, the training did not create uh, an impact that's visible to me. And maybe there's one other thing. Uh, maybe this one has, it's not about compassion alone. But it's uh, like maybe the entire SIY training, but compassion played the biggest part. Is it helps some people become the better managers. Mm. Uh, I have one example. So, so this person, uh, after compassion training, he discovered uh, or, or he, he realized that he needed to do something for his people. He needed to step back and he asked his people, like, what am I doing for you that creates most value for you? And what am I doing for you that creates no value? And then through, through, his, through those answers, he found, he found the ability to work less and, and get more done. <laughs> because, for example, one of the things that, that didn't create any value for his, his team is he read every email that came in. Mm. And the team said, we don't need you to read every email. All we need is for you to solve the problems that we cannot solve. Mm. Right? So that's where your value is. So, so by learning that, he, he spent less time on stuff and whatever stuff he works on, it creates more value. And so he, after a while, he got, he, his team just kept, in, kept getting bigger because he found that he's, he's not doing anything. Right? He has too much free time. <laughs> 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 so, so in his case, like, com compassion, because it, it helps him, it, it gives him the incentive to step back and think, what can I do? What more can I do for my people? It helped him become a better manager. And of course, he got his promotion. That, that's very interesting. 
Yeah. Uh, this leads me to a very, uh, the next question, which is, in principle, right. you know, everyone agrees that kindness and compassion are good qualities. Mm-hmm. But very often in business situations, they are seen mm-hmm. as, they are viewed as weaknesses. Mm-hmm. You know, kind managers are sometimes seen as being weak, soft, mm-hmm. or at least tolerant of failure or non-performance, mm-hmm. which demotivates high performance. Mm-hmm. And such managers are accused of being too nice. Mm-hmm. Now, in contrast to this, there are so-called mm-hmm. tough managers who will bully right. or browbeat their subordinates. <laughs> they are seen as star performers who know how right. to crack the whip and get the job done. Right. Did, did you face such issues at Google? And if so, how did you make the link between a program that aims at cultivating attentiveness and kindness and the company's performance and profit goals? Mm. I want to challenge the premise of this question. And the way I want to challenge this is, I think it is possible to be tough and to be kind and compassionate at the same time. They are not mutually exclusive. And I, I can think of two examples. Uh, the first example, uh, there are two guys, their, name, their names are Bill and Dave. Uh, uh, the last names are Hewlett and Packard. <laughs> <laughs> so they started this company called HP uh, in, I think, 1939, if I remember correctly. And so the, the early 30s, early 40s, and they had a radical idea for their time. The idea was that uh, let's, treat, let's treat our employees nicely, right? Let's be fair to them. Let's reward them well. Let's listen to them, listen to their opinions, their expertise, and so on. And, and back then, I mean, in 1940, you'd think like, wow, this guy's smoking. Right? This is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Right? If, you, if you're, not tough on your, you're not tough on your people, how do you get them to, to do stuff? Well, it turns out they were right. And then now we fast forward, uh, we look back. And I mean, now we, we take it for granted, in, at least in a tech company. We say, well, of course, we treat our people well. Of course, we respect them. How else do we get them to do good work? Uh, it's, it's now the entirely reverse. So, so, uh, but the point is, back for their own time, they are considered like pe- the type of people we would we would criticize today as being as being too nice, as being soft and weak and so on, right? Uh, it turns out that they're not they're not softies at all. <laughs> so Dave Packard, for example, his reputation is that he will fire people in person. Right? If if there's any manager in HP who crossed a, a ethical line, he did something unethical, Dave personally flies over to the site and personally fires that guy. <laughs> mm. he, is, he is no softy. <laughs> mm. Mm. So, so they, I think Dave, Bill and Dave, they personify a combination of being tough and being nice. And they had a very successful company for many, many years. I, I, think, I think HP survived like a really long time. I think the average uh, a, a lifetime of a company is about 30 years. And HP like, survived way beyond that. Mm. And another example I can think of is what we talked about earlier, which is naval officers. Right? The nicest naval officers are the best and the most effective. And nobody accuses naval officers of being soft. <laughs> so so you can be you can be tough as tough as nail and nice and kind and compassionate. And if you do both at the same time, I think you can do amazing work for your company. So I think if you have to cho- if you have to choose one or the other uh, I think it reflects a lack of, of skillfulness in, in managing. Mm. And I think it gets worse. So, so the problems of, of just being tough alone, right, just browbeating and bullying people, uh, it creates at least three, three costs. 
the first cause is, is long-term sustainability. Right? You end up with people who, who don't like working for you. They work for you only because they have to. And if they can leave, they'll leave. So you have, you're going to have a retention issue. And even if you retain them, you're going to have a, you're going to have a, a sustainability issues because they're not going to work for, for very hard for very long. And then they are, they are, it gets worse. So, so that is a visible thing. There are things that are less visible. Uh, the less visible things are quality and commitment. Uh, if they're not happy, they're not going to commit. And if they're going to commit, quality is going to suffer. Uh, you're still going to produce 10,000 widgets a year, but your 10,000 widgets, uh, the number of widgets that are defective will increase. And this is reflected, for example, in poor quality of customer service. Uh, if your people are not happy, they are not going to treat the customers well, and you're going to lose your customers. And then you're going to have to spend a lot of money on quote-unquote marketing. Right? <laughs> but if you treat your customers well, you're not going to lose them in the first place. Right? You don't have to spend that much on marketing. Mm-hmm. So, so this commitment quality. And then there's a third thing, which is even less visible. And it, cre- it impacts companies like Google, which uh, rely on creativity, which is that if your managers, all they do is bully, your people are less likely to be creative problem solvers. Mm. And then you lose, you lose a lot of uh, creative energy. And so, so I was like, I pondered on this. I pondered on why is it so widespread? Why is it so widespread? Right? Why do we have so many managers in the, managers in the world who only know how to how to bully, right? And I think it's because the gain uh, of of bullies, the gain in the short term is very is very visible, right? In the next one quarter, if you bully your people, you're you're going to get higher numbers, right? But what they lose is in the long term and. What it gets worse. It's a long-term end. It's not very visible. Right? For example, the, what I just told you about, the, the opportunity cost of commitment, quality, and creativity. Mm. You, you don't see them immediately. And so, therefore, if you're an unskillful manager or a top leader, if all you can see is short-term numbers, then you tend to reward those bullies. Right? Because the other thing, the good things that you lose are opportunity costs and are invisible to you. And I think the biggest opportunity cost is that if you have only people like that, you never go from good to great. Your company will always be average. I mean, and average is not bad, right? I mean, you, you, make, you, make, you make dividends every year sort of thing, but it's only average. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.